Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency, while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast brought to you by The Rollup, a media and education company that provides high-quality, actionable insights and information on all things Layer 2s, Rollups, DeFi, scaling solutions, new protocols, juicy alpha, and insightful research. We're excited to share with you the latest trends and development in the DeFi space so you can stay informed and ahead of the curve. Without further ado, we will jump right into this episode with a brief update on some of our current sponsors. Buffer Finance is a non-custodial, exotic options trading platform built to trade short-term price volatility and hedge risk of high leverage positions. They are a leader in the arbitrum charge taking over on layer twos and totally understand the potential of blockchain technology and how it's transforming the finance industry. They are proud to support DeFi by design. If you're looking for a platform to trade short-term options, look no further than Buffer Finance. With their innovative tech, easy to use platform, they're at the forefront of the options tech in Arbitrum. Visit their website, buffer.finance, and take a look at all their options. ZKX is a leader in the decentralized derivative DEX market on StarkNet. StarkNet is a cutting edge technology built to help scale Ethereum using ZK rollups. They understand the potential of scaling, blockchain tech, and how it's going to change the world of leverage trading. ZKX protocol is happy to be on testnet and will be on mainnet very shortly. Check out ZKX protocol on Twitter, as well as on Crew3 to get more information about what's going on on StarkNet. What is up? Welcome back to the roll up. Uh, very special episode today. We are welcoming the gigabrains behind Celo. Uh, and we're going to be talking all about the upcoming transitions that that Celo has planned. This is episode 107 of DeFi by Design. And we are very, very grateful to have Marak and Tim on the podcast today. Um, we're going to we're going to let them introduce all of the exciting updates that are happening over at CeeLo. Uh, you may have recognized CeeLo as the ecosystem, the network that has uh, some of the, the top DeFi applications right now. And there are tons of exciting updates that we will get into in a moment. Um, I will kick it over to Marek for a bit of an intro um, about himself and a touch on the upcoming uh updates and announcements coming through CeeLo. Uh, Marek, before before we kick it over to you and Tim for intros and diving in, uh, Andy, of course, on the podcast as well. Andy, how you feeling today? And I got my, my live five shirt on. We're bridging cross chain, baby. Every day of the week is, is, is what we do. We're here today to talk about some of the roll-up wars, as I like to call it, um, and where, where, where these two lads are going to position themselves, some of the unique uh, kind of propositions of CeeLo, kind of the history. And yeah, let's just dive right in. So um, yeah, GM Sirs, Tim, why don't you kick us off and give us a brief intro as to what you guys are building um, and a bit about um, the kind of current uh, move. Yeah, thanks, Andy. So I'm Tim. I'm CEO at C-Labs. C-Labs is one of the organizations active in the um, Celo ecosystem. We do a lot of the product and engineering work. Uh, we've been contributors to Celo since before Mainnet. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll just quickly pause to give Marek a chance to give a, give a quick intro over here. 
Hey everyone, yes, um, my name is Marek Koshevsky. I'm one of the co-founders of Celo and um, yeah, also CTO at C-Labs, where as Tim just mentioned, uh, all of the public goods development happens or, or a good amount of the public goods development uh, in the Celo ecosystem happens. Yeah, over to you, Tim. Yeah, so um, I think there's, there's there's a little bit of background to this. Uh, um, this is kind of my version of it. I'm curious to hear Marek's as well. But you know, when um, the team working on bringing Celo to mainnet were, were were kind of thinking about how to how to put together all of the pieces that we were um, that, that we were looking to to deliver. Um, you know, Celo started out as this. Um, peer-to-peer -peer payments app, you know, almost like a kind of Venmo for crypto, this idea that you can um, yeah, send money to a family member the other side of the world, and that person can then walk around the corner into a store and buy groceries with, with that. And crucially, that all of this would be done using low-end uh, smartphones that were just like at that, at that point back in 2018, just completely prevalent, and of, of, of course, even more so now. Um, and there are more people out there with smartphones than, than have uh, bank accounts. And that kind of realization that uh, that you could use smartphones as a key way of being able to like close this gap between um, you know financial inclusion, financial access for so many people is, was just kind of really powerful. Crypto was like an incredible um, empowering technology from that point of view. But for Celo to as a, as a kind of project to be able to reach that vision, you know, we were trying to um, we were trying to build like a crypto wallet, um, a stable coin framework, an identity framework, so that you can like send um, money directly to a mobile phone. Um, we were like, you know, looking at like all of the kind of pieces of the puzzle. And in order to make this thing work, we would obviously need like a blockchain. And the first thought, of course, was you know, Ethereum was at that point, like already like a dominant player in the space. Um, we love what the Ethereum project were, were, was doing. We just subscribed to so many of its values. Um, a number of the team had worked on Ethereum projects already. Um, but in order to kind of meet the needs of this payments use case, it was it was kind of just, just like in its current state back in 2018, which is not gonna really cut it because with reorgs, with um, high transaction fees, with slow block times, um, having to hold a different currency to pay for like gas if you were like trying to make a stablecoin transaction, all of these things we felt were like barriers to, um, to, to usability. You know, you want to be able to stand at a, at, a, at a register and see your transaction for like 10 bucks or the equivalent go through and be, be kind of finalized and for the fee to be um, modest and for you not to like have to hold a different currency in order to pay those fees at the same time. And um, it was because of those kind of needs that we, in the end, to like launch, um, you know, as the code base that ended up being launched by validators in the community as Celo Mainnet, um, in order to like achieve that kind of the, those needs, the, the developers forked um, Ethereum to um, the, the Go Ethereum GoLang client to, to be able to um, to be able to get there, and so Celo has always been like kind of wanting to be part of Ethereum. If we could have avoided um, like Celo, build, building a Celo separate Celo blockchain in the first place, I think maybe that could have been 
in the past the preferred route, but that option was never really available back in 2018. And so, you know, we've been tracking like lots of developers in the Celo ecosystem are also developers in the Ethereum ecosystem, like Celo is fully EVM compatible. Like we, uh, we as an ecosystem were early to like invest in bridging and um, lots of the developer tools and, and DeFi apps that you get on on Celo and Ethereum are very, you know, they're, they're shared, they're, there's like shared team, shared heritage. And I think, you know, this, it's been super exciting this year because the emergence and the maturity of L2 like stacks now is at a point where we can kind of see a, a route towards Celo like coming home to Ethereum. And this is where I feel like, um, you know, that just wasn't the case like 12 months ago. And uh, that's what led us to May and, and to start really, really doubling down on this idea that we wanted to propose to the Celo community, hey, how about if like Celo became an L2 on Ethereum and preserved as many of its values, its community, like the experience, the apps for um, users, for developers, for builders, um, but gained a ton more from like a closer synergy of those communities. Yeah, I still remember going on um cello and DeFi summer ish there were some incentive programs with sushi swap bridging over there getting active was probably like the first or second day um you know it was just kind of a another place you could go get rid of the kind of high fees slow throughput um and kind of had those nice incentives attached um you know and i always knew knew of you guys through kind of some of the um, agencies that you were working with, some of the PR and just through through experience, I had known that you guys were pretty like mobile first. Um, I think we can touch on the move into the L2 um, and kind of the state of the roll-up wars and the hard fork um, in a short time, but I'm just kind of curious if your mental model for the way that DeFi scales is still lies within this mobile first experience. Like I think this, this idea of like these PWAs uh, which is basically like these progressive web apps for those who are listening, basically taking these web apps onto the mobile phone. I think FriendTech is obviously a huge example of that now. Um, but yeah, I'm curious if your thinking has shifted with regards to the mobile side of things, um, seeing that that was kind of like the biggest focus for you guys in the early days. Um, and if you still think that like DeFi and crypto and it's kind of headed towards a more mobile first experience still, or if it'll be kind of you know, more uh, on the computer and desktop focused. Yeah, I, we're equally excited about mobile and we continue to invest in, in mobile. We think that um, for just a whole manner of reasons, um, mobile Web3, mobile DeFi um, is just going to continue to grow and grow and, and be um, definitely take a bigger market share of, of Web3 in general, but but certainly be a huge driver for, for a global adoption of Web3. Um, I mean, just if you look at the numbers, there's 7 billion smartphones uh, out there in the world, uh, significantly more than there are uh, desktop and laptop computers these days. Uh, and if you look at the the markets where crypto adoption has been growing uh, during this bear market and the types of use cases that are driving that adoption they tend to be in markets dominated by mobile um, uh, users and uh, uh, use cases that tend to be mobile mobile first um, and so one one exciting example so i work 
um, uh, also uh, uh, part-time at a, a wallet company called Valora, which is a really easy to use mobile wallet that uh, leverages a lot of the, the features that Sela has to offer. You can use it to send value to people in your contact list. Uh, you can pay for gas with stable coins. Uh, it's it's 100% a mobile first experience that really, um, I would say, um, delivers on that vision that Tim was mentioning before, that kind of global Venmo use case uh, that, that we were working so hard on um, four years ago, five years ago now. Um, and so that's a really exciting, um, I would say, example of, um, you know, companies delivering on, on this mobile first vision. Um, but recently, there's also been another uh, player to enter the space that, that's pretty exciting. So Opera, uh, the browser company, um, recently ad- added a cello-only stablecoin-focused mobile wallet to Opera Mini. Opera Mini is a browser that is is very light in terms of its size. Uh, they have 100 million users, uh, predominantly um, throughout Africa. Uh, and they launched uh, MiniPay, which uh, is very similar to Valora. It's, it's, um, it's a payment product built on crypto rails that lets you send stable coins to people in your contact list uh, very, very cheaply. Um, and it's also compatible with Valora. Um, you can send money between both. Um, and that's, you know, super exciting. I mean, I think Opera is a massive company. They have a huge user base. There's a huge need throughout Africa to be able to send stable value easily throughout the continent. Uh, and, and again, that's where, you know, there's a lot of mobile users. And so uh, the platform, you know, and, and the whole ecosystem, I think, continues to really uh, work hard on building um, functionality that enables mobile developers to, to really execute well. Uh, and, and I think that will continue going forward for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think I see the vision. Um, and, and even looking kind of anecdotally at like how much time I spend on my, my computer versus how much time I spend on my phone, um, I would say for it's relatively similar for me. And I imagine that I'm one of the higher uh, usage on desktop. Um, and for the most part, uh, people around the globe are probably mobile heavier um, as far as how they balance. Though Even those who do own desktops are probably spending much, much more of their time on mobile phones. So totally. Mobile- and maybe just to throw a stat that you might find entertaining, 60% of people report that they uh, use their mobile phone on their toilet, uh, which is, I think is really, I think, um, you know, says something about, about us, um, as humanity. And I think specifically it says that 40% of us lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit, I, I was on the toilet earlier today and I was on my mobile phone. So yeah, that I'm part of that stat. Um, okay, so switching gears here a little bit um, to to look into some more of the on-chain dynamics. Um, Celo has has capitalized on the mobile first movement, um, and now you have Valoro as well as Opera Mini and and others that are running on, on top of the Celo blockchain. So getting into uh, the transition uh, into an Ethereum centric rollup. 
uh, what, how does this transition um, underpin the, the message that you guys are sending to the world that you are mobile first, you're here for speed and you're here for adoption? How, how did you incorporate some of those ideas into the, the decision to become an L2? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, and I really like those three bullets. Um, they align very, very uh, closely with, um, with a lot of our focus. Um, you know, I think as Tim mentioned, we, our origins were in Ethereum um, and, and philosophically we're very aligned with the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and we didn't really have an opportunity to, um, uh, to execute on our vision um, back when we started um, in a, any other way other than creating an Altel one. Uh, but now that you know, there's a there's an Ethereum rollup um, roadmap. Um, there's all this work that's been done on road on rollups. Um, really, more philosophically than anything else, um, you know, we we have a desire to to transition cello from or we at C Labs had this desire, which we then put forward as a proposal, and then the community voted on it um, to to transition. Uh, Celo into an L2 just to be aligned with the Ethereum roadmap, just to, just to, just because again we we philosophically agree uh, and have um, our roots in in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know we wanted to launch as an L2 uh, with all the same features that everyone else has. You know, I think we're uh, there's a lot of things that make Solo unique and differentiated, and, and we wanted to preserve many of those things. And so, you know, in the proposal, we had three main goals. Um, I think the first one was to maintain cheap gas fees for a lot of the use cases on Solo. Um, there's people using it for payments, there's people using it for community currencies, for microfinance, for universal basic income, um, for, for mobile DeFi. Uh, and a lot of these use cases uh, and a lot of our users kind of required really cheap transaction fees. And so we needed uh, to preserve that. And so that ultimately uh, meant um, that, that we had to look for uh, an alternative way of doing data availability. But because we wanted it to be very Ethereum aligned, you know, we ended up uh, zeroing in on EigenDA. Uh, which is uh, a middleware by Eigenlayer, which, you know, as you guys know, as I'm sure your listeners have heard before, you know, is a service run by, by Ethereum validators. And so we really like the Ethereum alignment of that. And so we, we've been working with the EigenDA team uh, now or the Eigenlayer team now to, to, to uh, create this data availability layer. So that's kind of requirement number one. Uh, requirement number two was to maintain decentralization. Celo has been running for three years with a decentralized network of validators that include, you know, companies, um, you know, some really great um, uh, companies with really great uh, production and DevOps experience, uh, and a whole bunch of really great solo stakers um, that that have, um, in some cases, been with the network since before it was even live as a mainnet. You know, back when all the test nets were running. Um, of the of the big companies, you know, we have folks like uh, Google Cloud, uh, which recently joined um, Deutsche Telekom, um, which owns T-Mobile in the U.S. Uh, they've been um, in the ecosystem for a while now, um, uh, contributing in many ways, including running validators um, and you know many other big big companies, the Coinbase's, the Binance's, the Anchorage's, and and, and all of that, um, and 
And we didn't want to just throw away this validator set and just move to a centralized you know, sequencer on one machine. We, we felt that that would be a, a step backwards. And so um, one of the you know, big topics right now in L2s is decentralized sequencing. And so we, we worked hard to create a design that would allow us to transition that decentralized validator set into a decentralized sequencer set, uh, preserving you know, all of that decentralization uh, and offering you know, better liveness guarantees than, than L2s today. Um, and so, um, so that was requirement number two. And then the third requirement was around one block finality. When you have a, a blockchain focus on, on ease of use, um, on, on payments, on payment-like use cases, one block finality becomes, I would say, more important than, than for other use cases. Whenever you're, you're interacting with the real world, say you're buying something like a physical object, not an NFT, uh, having a reorg means that only one of those two transactions um, gets undone. If you're doing buying an NFT, then both of the transactions would get be undone. And so it's actually less of an issue. But as soon as you're in, interacting with the real world, it becomes much more of a, of a concern. And so we worked really hard to create a design that, that actually preserves Celo's one block finality, uh, which we offer through you know, crypto token economic um, kind of incentives. And so the, the new design basically for the L2 uh, provides uh, Ethereum level security uh, when you wait uh, 12 minutes uh, for Ethereum finality, uh, but Celo level security uh, um, on on kind of the uh, sub five second time frame um, for um, as well. And so, if you're doing a smaller transaction where you don't really uh, need Ethereum security, uh, then you know that that transaction won't be reorged. If you really are sending a huge amount of money, then then maybe you'll wait 12 minutes to get that uh, Ethereum security uh, for you know Ethereum um, uh, Casper FFG level security. Would you consider that like a, a hybrid design, or in the in the world of ZKR like ZK rollups, optimistic rollups, and different hybrid designs that I've done some research on as of, as a recent? How would you kind of classify that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think um, already many L2s are doing something like this, right? Sequencers give you an attestation that they will sequence your transaction. The difference with the seller design is that you're adding some economic security there, right? It's not just, you know, like um, a promise by some company. Um, there's actually, you know, over 100 companies that are... Um, effectively giving you that promise, but also putting up a stake that can get slashed if they ever break it. Uh, and so so I think in some ways, it's just the kind of evolution of, of what is happening today uh, for many L2s. Is right. Yeah, we can take, I mean, in another way of looking at it is we, we can take the fact that Cello has been running as a like all L1 with like almost 100% uptime uh, for several years now um, on a really like strong validator set with like cast iron um, like uh, kind of operational practices and security and be able to take all the benefits of that and like add in on top of that just this incredible um, uh, economic security that Ethereum offers and so what you get hopefully if um, 
if we 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 kind of execute on this well as a community is like the most decentralized but also lowest cost like to in the ethereum ecosystem um and the way that you get that kind of security get you get all those benefits is like through this kind of layering of like immediate finality nothing's going back within five seconds um to the tune of the kind of economic security and satellite and then on top of that you know uh, the uh, like if you're if you're prepared to wait or you, you feel like you need to wait like the um economic security of ethereum and a, a validator set for silo is providing consensus i'd like to come and just flush out this this understanding and then and then hopefully it, it illuminates the architecture of silo or excuse me silo and and that can uh, we can kind of just kind of all better understand rollups as well as as the audience. So my under, understanding of of the these validator sets is it provides consensus to the network, and Ethereum has its own validator set, which is now proof of stake, and everyone can stake if they have thirty two ETH, they can stake these in Ethereum validators and contribute consensus to the network. Is Consensus a unique feature of Cello that other rollups such as Arbitrum, Optimism, because they rely on Ethereum's, they use Ethereum's gas token. My understanding is that Arbitrum and Optimism don't have their own consensus, whereas it sounds like Cello does. Is that true? Right, so Celo is a, an L1 today, and and will transition to an L2 with a decentralized sequencer tomorrow. Uh, and so, for both of these, you need consensus. And and as Tim mentioned, we get to we have the um, um, fortunate position of being able to reuse our production grade um, consensus protocol that that's been running uh, in production rock solid for the last three years. The the arbitrums and the optimisms are all moving in this direction um, as well. Um, in order to have a decentralized sequencer, you need consensus around your decentralized sequencer nodes as to what the next transaction bundle is. You don't have to have consensus about the, the state of executing those transactions, but I think just agreeing on the fact that that will be the next transaction bundle um, uh, it's something that yeah you can you can achieve consensus on, uh, and um, you know folks like Espresso are, are working on this as well. Um, you know there's a whole um, I would say um, this has become a really interesting research topic and you know something that a lot of folks are are now looking into, uh, and it's certainly the direction that all L2s will go eventually, and, and we're just excited to be at the forefront of it. And picking up on on like this this transition to this architecture, um, you, you and almost an adaptation of the question that Andy asked earlier about this hybrid model, and it is the consensus that you guys are you're using the Ethereum consensus to provide the ultimate security on chain, and then you also are layering in another layer of decentralization and consensus with Celo's validators. And that's, to me, that signals this the hybrid architecture. Whereas, okay, and I, I see some nodding heads, so I take it that is kind of the hybrid model 
where you, you're able to combine um, the cello consensus for greater economic security on top of Ethereum's validator network, which provides Ethereum and Ethereum-centric architectures their own, their own level of security. So does this unlock? I think you did mention a few features this unlocks. One of them intuitively sounds like greater economic security, more like like stronger consensus around what the next transaction is. What are other features that that this hybrid model unlocks? Yeah, I think fundamentally shorter block times with economic security, not just with you know some uh, company um, claiming that they won't. Um, reorder these transactions or exclude them in the future. Um, so that's number one. And, and number two, um, the the economic, some economic finality uh, that you can rely on to know that that transaction um, will, once it's in um, an L2, you know, unsafe block to, to borrow um, the vernacular of OP stack, you know, it won't be that unsafe block will eventually uh, get promoted to a safe block and it won't be reorged. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premium Finance. Premium is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premium, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. Well, what sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Uh, feel free to check it out at premium.finance. Um, hedge your risks or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital efficient returns on premium finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently uh, on, been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plan of Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plan of Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plan of Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Got it. Cool. And I'm glad you bring up OP Stack uh, because I... I, I... I think that's kind of a uh, next direction to, to go into. Um, so Celo yesterday is an, is an alt L1. Tomorrow will be an L2. So there's a transition that takes place and that, that means developing and building. Um, and there are a lot, there's, there's several solutions out there to deploy new rollups, or it sounds like migrate 
existing L1s into L2 rollups. So what is the infrastructure stack that Celo is choosing to, to leverage to make this transition? Wait to see who's going to go. Um, so, so I guess I mean I guess that's 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 a pretty exciting question. Funny you should ask that. So, um, you know, the original proposal that we as C Labs wrote, um, you know, tackles this question, right? So, one of the things that we really really wanted to do was make this proposal to the Celo community: Hey, we should become a L two um, roll up on Ethereum. Um, like really like concrete was to kind of sketch out like an implementation plan on how to do that, right? We didn't want this to be taken in any way. It's just like marketing. Um, and the, um, the we, we're big fans of um, the OP stack. We're big fans of, um, I mean, to be honest, we're big fans of like the work that Optimism and Arbitrum have done. Both, both um, projects have done like blazing the trail here um but from a kind of openness point of view from the kind of enthusiasm and willingness to like kind of collaborate and like uh shape the future of a project i think like you know uh the op stack kind of stands out um there and i think it represents from the kind of uh c labs initial proposal that was like i think the the, the kind of route that we propose that we go down in order to take um, Celo forward as, as an L2. You know, what's super interesting, of course, is like this space is advancing so, so quickly that like even in the few weeks since we put that proposal out, since like um, we kind of unveiled it at ECC and uh, the Celo governance process and community decided to take that forward we've like seen advances in the space and like new projects and like new uh, new things emerge yeah and um and so i think that's been really interesting i think after we put out the the op stack based proposal um at ecc uh, we got a lot of inbound from a lot of different projects saying hey you know um have you looked at our stack um a lot of ZK um, um, EVM-based projects, uh, I would say, reached out, um, and you know many of these projects are um, continuing to to either release or launch or you know upgrade their their stacks. And in some cases, um, the latest work that that um, they're working on isn't always public. Um, and so I think that was pretty interesting to 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 hear from these folks. Um, but ultimately, you know, Celo is a decentralized project. Uh, C Labs is just one party in in the ecosystem, and you know, to a large extent, had already done a lot of research and, and kind of made a call. Uh, and so, I think ultimately, uh, what uh, what we've seen uh, is these projects uh, wanting to to have those conversations in, in the open with the whole Celo ecosystem. And so, um, you know, we've seen, for example, Polygon has posted to the Celo forum fairly recently and started engaging with the ecosystem uh, about, you know, uh, having Celo uh, transition uh, using Polygon CDK uh, as part of kind of the Polygon 2.0 vision that they're working on. 
Um, and it's been really interesting seeing those conversations pop up and, and, and hearing about some of the offerings that, that uh, Polygon has that you know, could potentially uh, offer an alternative uh, path for, for Celo to, to migrate. And so um, I think it's a fun, you know, interesting time. Uh, I would not have predicted this at all. Um, um, you know, and I think our job at C-Labs is to help the ecosystem navigate this in, in a way that is as fair as possible to, to all the different projects um, kind of coming to the ecosystem. And ultimately that, that uh, results in, in, I think, the, the best outcome for, for the seller blockchain and the seller ecosystem. You know, I think we, uh, we think that, you know, ultimately that's really important. And so, yeah, it's going to be, you know, interesting to see how this plays out. If, you know, any of your listeners have any viewpoints, you know, I would highly encourage you to kind of join the conversation and, and jump on forum.cello.org um, and, uh, and, you know, continue the conversation. Yeah, we were messing around before about being the hot girl in the room, and 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 that's kind of where you guys are at. It's funny to see like the the proposals come up, um, and I think from a from an incentive point of view, these these rollups as part of this rollup war that I'm pushing, there's two there's two kind of sides. There's how do we attract the users, which is going to be a question that you guys will be faced with after your kind of transition. It's always a question that you've been faced with, right, during uh, past times, current, and future. Um, but even, even, you know, furthermore, there's going to be more and more rollups launched. So it's going to be, how do we attract the users? How do we get sticky liquidity? How, how do we get people that kind of want to use this as a home base? And that's a whole nother conversation. But then there's also these kind of stacks that, that, that just have projects like Cello that want to turn, that want to become a rollup and like, what is their kind of pitch? You know, and I'm, I'm kind of curious from, uh, you know, from that perspective, I guess a lot of it is on the forums there. Um, you know, but I'm curious if there's been any sort of like key standout points. Uh, like I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. There's this L2 called mode, which is doing uh, sequencer fee distributions to the, the uh, devs, which build on uh, that, that uh, chain, which is just an example of kind of like intensivization of these protocols and teams. Um, so I'm curious on that front and because my Wi-Fi is shaky, I'm going to throw another one at you guys, which is, is the economic model of a rollup very, very appealing when compared to the economic model of a proof of stake L1? If so, why, or if not, kind of why not? So first kind of like um, that kind of what's, what, what are some of those like incentives, you know, to kind of that you may have seen or that you've heard of, and then kind of the economic model, is that a big push? You know, is, is that much better? Yeah, I can I can take that. Um, I th I think you know when it comes to um, um, attracting developers and users to, to the platform and growing network effects, um, you know I think the L two transition plan doesn't really change anything. You know I think our our strategy has always been to build a blockchain that makes it really easy for people to build applications that are accessible. Uh, and easy to use um, by you know a lot of people, um, you know, which again is is why there's a big focus on on mobile, and and you know we think that that um, will continue to be attractive to to developers, and we're going to continue to to um, iterate and improve things on that front. And we think that the Opera Mini um, launch of you know Mini Pay uh, with 100 million users again that they are um, 
this is this is not a new product that they're releasing that re requires people to download and install a new app. This is part of an existing browser app that is installed on I think 500 million uh, devices already, and you know with with uh, over 100 million active users, um, and so that is a huge audience. Uh, for DApp builders to um, to get their um, DApps in front of. Um, in terms of economic and um, the kind of token economics of the move, you know, it is interesting. You know, I think with a um, using uh, EigenDA for data availability, uh, I think makes um, the Salo L2 plan. Um, I would say result in a pretty small change in, in token economics. You know, right now, I think 90 to 95% of gas on most L2s is, is spent uh, paying for uh, data availability, right? Paying for that transaction to be then stored on, on Ethereum. That number will go down with proto dank sharding and will go down even more with, with dank sharding eventually. Uh, and you can think of EigenDA as effectively being dank sharding available, you know, two years before it might eventually roll out to Ethereum. Um, and so our intention uh, right now is, you know, obviously to eventually migrate to dank sharding. Um, you know, once it's available, you know, I think that um, that's going to offer the best uh um data availability, you know, and security for for the L2. But absent of that, you know, we think that uh, EigenDA is just an incredibly great option, uh, given that it's bringing that technology to uh, Ethereum validators and, you know, to users of the Ethereum ecosystem uh, sooner. Um, but ultimately, it means that, you know, that 95% transaction fee portion basically goes to almost zero uh, because it's just so, so, so much cheaper. Um, and yeah, I think... I think base is paying uh, over a hundred K a day right now. I think if I'm not mistaken, because of friend tech, just to get all that, all, all that data there, it's insane. Um, and I think one other thing about the OP stack that you guys can take advantage of, if that's the route that you take is eventually there'll be shared, there'll be shared service model where, you know, all of the rollups on the, on the OP stack should be sharing the cost of the sequencer. So they should have a shared sequencer and they should share the datability data availability costs. So to a certain extent, like it's almost a move to, if you can get more and more chains to kind of come onto the OP stack as the technology evolves for the shared shared cost model, um, it kind of helps everybody who's building there. Definitely. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things happening in the L2 landscape today is uh, something that I think is orthogonal, uh, but very related to the stacks that, that uh, folks are using. And that's um, kind of these these L twos um, kind of aligning themselves together and informing these types of alliances around their sequencers, but I think more significantly around their bridges and sharing liquidity in bridges as well. Uh, and it's obviously easier to do that if you share, or in some cases required to do that if you uh, share the same stack. Um, but ultimately, you can share a stack and not be part of this as well. And so. I think something that uh, will be important for the seller ecosystem to to have a conversation around and to decide on is is not just you know, the stack, but also like looking a little further forward. Uh, um, you know, what about these? Uh, what about a shared bridge? Uh, what what makes the most sense for the ecosystem? Uh, 
um, because that I think ultimately will translate into a whole bunch of additional functionality uh, between those L2s in the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, it's a super super interesting and challenging uh, kind of thought experiment to kind of project forward to figure out like almost like which free trade zone do you want to be part of, right? And that is has so many factors um, in, in, involved in it. Um, you know, you're you're kind of trying to make a bet on not only the technology but also the success of the other L2s that have not even yet been created, that have not on the applications that have not yet been built, and we know how quickly they can come up as uh, like Frentech, right? Um, uh, because they're ultimately what's going to be attracting um, attracting users, attracting liquidity, and that like rapid sharing of like liquidity between those L2s in the stack is really um, very interesting. And of course, there are going to be a lot of network effects here. And I think like Andy, your like L2 stack wars analogy is potentially like, I mean, we're seeing a little bit of this, I think with like the super, the OP super chain and with um, the Polygon CDK, like a, you know, the Polygon team have put together a really, really compelling and interesting technology stack. I mean, they have like a lot of expertise um, in the Validium space. And I think um, what they're proposing in the aggregation layer is very interesting and is like hints at the kind of beginning of this, um, of this kind of like um, this liquidity, um, this, this bridge which rapidly moves liquidity between L2s and while minimizing like the cost of running Ethereum. Um, and so, you know, this, this, the, the OP stack has like tons of potential here as well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see proposals like this uh, from, from other players in the space as, as, as well in general as the kind of, um, uh, as the space emerges. But, you know, like none of this was even like stuff we were talking about like three months ago, really. Um, and so it's just evolving so fast. It's really exciting to see where it's going. Yeah, why I was curious about the incentives, you know, just like, um, are these guys offering, like, who's like money talks, you know, like which which ecosystem wants you wants the users and the and the builders and, um, yeah, I think Rob had some. Well, I was curious ultimately how these this the decision is made. Um, it goes through community governance, um, and then in in Celo. Kind of what what does that look like in practice whether it's on snapshot or tally you know we can all go to the forum and, and kind of check out those proposals um and then and then how does a decision how is a decision made uh from there yeah great question so cello has built-in smart contract based on-chain governance and has had since mainnet launch it controls like all aspects of the smart contracts deployed all the core kind of protocol owned smart contracts that are deployed on on Celo and that governance mechanism can also be used for kind of indicative temperature checks of Celo voters just by like not attaching any kind of code execution to the proposal. And, um, you know, that has been used by a bunch of folks in the community for a range of purposes before. Uh, and that's kind of exactly what we did after like putting the forum post out for the L2 proposal. Um, of course, uh, from a hard fork perspective, it's, you know, slightly different. Ultimately, any adoption of um, a major new stack like this is going to be a hard fork. And for that, you need like a um, quorum of like two thirds quorum of validators, or in this case, as the validators transition to becoming 
sequences, decentralized sequences, um, you know, you, you need uh, like strong participation from that community as well to be able to, to have this done. But I would be, um, you know, as with many like Web3 communities, we've always tried to like, Cello as a grouping has always tried to like operate with like, um, you know, strong uh, consensus, like, you know, like operations, like we try to get by on as many folks in the community as possible and like, you know, work things through so that everybody has kind of got general consensus around an approach rather than like, you know, forcing things through to <laughs> like a, a token based vote or like, you know, having validators, validators make decisions. So I think, um, I, I suspect it would be like, you know, something that was done after a lot of discussion agreement between like validators, like, you know, app developers, um, protocol developers, um, token holders, and, and, you know, the whole constituency really. And Go yeah, you, you asked a question about incentives as well. I mean, like, again, this is totally new, new area, right? Like, you know, this is essentially one protocol suggesting that another community or protocol be adapted right and so like what does what does that even look like from a from a from an incentive perspective right it's like you know it's kind of interesting uncharted territory here yeah exactly like how do you you know is there is there discounts on fees is there payments up front token allocations this that the other dev resources liquidity you know things like that um so i kind of want to pause it us one in of the where maybe we just are to add to that first. one of the really nice things about having full on-chain governance with execution is that the um, the governance participants effectively create a dao that can hold the treasury as well and so that also presents additional opportunities around incentives right there can be a grant that goes to the to the on-chain community fund that then can be governed by basically seller holders which I think is, you know, definitely pretty unique and interesting. Yeah, and Optimism has a huge grants program, and other um, other communities do too. And I mean, that the the whole Arbitrum situation kind of got me on that incentive um, conversation with regards to incentivizing protocols with their users and kind of trying to get a little stimmy going for the Arbitrum ecosystem. Arbitrum was kind of like the only ecosystem for L2s there, and then all of a sudden it's like. Oh, what's going on in Arbitrum? There's nothing going on anymore. Yeah, because there's freaking 69, 4,020 other L2s that have just launched in the last month. And everyone has a, a memory of a goldfish. But anyway, shifting, shifting kind of gears to a post-hard fork world. Today, we're pre-hard fork. What does this post-hard fork world look like? Um, seeing as the, the listeners are watching this Thursday or, or, or further, kind of what's the difference between the hard fork world? Yeah, and you know, for listeners um, wondering what hard fork Andy's referring to, it's the gingerbread hard fork that's happening uh, on Tuesday, the the twenty sixth of September. So a few days after you guys, um, uh, or a few days before you hear this. In our case, it will be tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's an exciting hard fork. It's the first of two hard forks that basically are part of this L two transition. So you can think of this hard fork as really setting the uh, uh, foundation for the eventual um, hard fork that will transition Celo into an L2. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. Um, but beyond that, there's also a whole bunch of bonus features. And so there's a, a lot of scalability work that also went in um, with this change or with this hard fork, Celo will be able to process just um, 
shy of 900 transactions per second, which is no uh, small feat for an EVM-based chain, uh, and certainly within striking distance of our of our goal to get to 1K transactions per second um, really, really soon. Um, so that will be exciting. Um, there's um, also a really cool change happening. Um, so Sela supported EIP 1559 since three years ago before Ethereum adopted it. Um, but the base fee has always gone to the community fund. Uh, starting uh, with this hard fork, uh, 80% of that base fee will be burned and 20% will go towards a um, green fund, as we're calling it, uh, which is a contract that can convert those fees into carbon offset credits on chain and, and then uh, retire the carbon offset credits. And so you can think of um, this as um, resulting in every transaction that you post to the chain uh, contributing to carbon offset credits being purchased and retired to help offset the uh, the carbon of the actual transaction itself. And this is already in addition to Sela using uh, emissions to buy carbon offset credits. So uh, speaking of on-chain governance, when literally the first governance proposal that anyone brought to the community was to make Celo a carbon neutral uh, platform uh, three years ago uh, and have it use emissions to buy uh, carbon offset credits programmatically. And so it's been doing that for the last three years and it's been carbon negative because actually it's bought more credits than uh, we estimate the network has um, contributed to, um, you know, CO2. Um, but with this change, you know, every transaction will also have an impact. And so we're calling we're calling this ultra green money, uh, inspired obviously heavily with by uh, Ethereum's ultrasound money. And so we're we're pretty excited about this as well. Um, and then a whole bunch of other improvements uh, around governance participation and. Um, um, and, and again, um, L2 related, uh, transitions, um, you know, for anybody interested, you know, definitely, um, I encourage you to, to read a, a, the blog post we have about the, the release notes. Um, it's, it's going to be really exciting. Nice. Thanks, man. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that you guys have been negative for that long. It shows a good faith effort to. Really just, you know, what's, what are we doing here on this earth, you know, on, on this podcast in this digital world, you know, like, what are we doing? We're just trying to prolong life and make a better place. So um, big ups for that. Uh, as we kind of wrap up, I'm just kind of curious, like uh, your, your mental model um, on this, this, this might take us for uh, another world, but like it, we talked a lot about the optimism stack and kind of the optimistic rollups being naturally more flexible and, you know, a, a, a bit less restrictive than the, the ZK stacks and, and the ZK ropes that we see now and really more conducive to actually like adopting, you know, a ton of people on apps like Frentech. But are, do you guys hold the belief that rollups will be, all become eventually ZK and that optimistic will be phased out? Or do you guys see a world where they both exist, hybrid models? Like, I'm just curious on what you guys think on the state of rollups, let's say one to three years from now. And then if you can, any any way that you, you kind of have thought about this with your decisions with Cello as we kind of wrap up. Tim, do you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, I wonder whether my answer is going to be the same or different to yours. We should, um, we should commit to an answer and, and reveal it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, uh, I think 
well, I, I mean, I'm generous now, I'm going to make a joke about that. Um, so I think, I think ZK tech is extremely interesting and very powerful, but also still extremely early in terms of we're beginning to see the first kind of practical evidence of like what this proving technology can do and like exploring some of the use cases for it. But um, it is still early from the point of view of like proof size, like edge cases and that computation or like dollars for actually creating these proofs, amount of gas on Ethereum in our case for like, um, you know, in, in, in L2's in general's case for like actually verifying them. Um, the amount of effort it takes to build the circuits in the first place and it's like the specialization of knowledge i think we're going to see as like um the new proof families kind of emerge and the, the, the tooling improves i think we're going to see just like a kind of explosion in in the practicality of this stuff for in, a, in in a couple of years um but it is i think um the polygon cdk is making a bet on a bunch of this stuff they have some very talented folks that um, working on it, but it is still definitely feels to me like early. So I guess the question was like, does everything end up there? I don't know, but I think like it'll be more stuff than not probably. Just to hear yeah. And my take is everything will end up there. I don't know. I don't think it'll take a year. It'll probably take closer to three years. But, um, you know, if you think about um, security of L1s and L2s, right, one of the nice things about an L1 that's just a standalone L1 is that if you run a full node, you can um, verify every transaction and you know exactly what your balance is. You don't need to trust anyone. If you're in an ecosystem of chains using like client-based bridges, say like Cosmos, then you have to start trusting the other validator sets of all these other chains, unless you run a full node for every chain that is communicating through IBC. Uh, and so that creates a bigger trust, um, um, I think, requirement of you and ultimately may not scale, which is why you know, Ethereum ultimately moved away from its sharded design and moved towards the roll-up centric model, which, you know, under the optimistic design only requires one honest party on every one of these chains, right? Uh, to be able to, to, to request a, a fraud proof or to submit a fraud proof. Uh, and so that's a huge improvement over kind of the, uh, the like client-based bridging model. Um, and then if you go to ZK, you don't even need to have that, right? as long as you trust the moon math and as long as there's no bugs, um, which I think is the biggest challenge today, uh, then suddenly you can scale to, you know, millions of L2s uh, and not require uh, everyone having to run a full node for any, all of them, right? Or even, you know, anyone running them. Uh, and that's really elegant, especially when it comes to finality and the ability to transfer value between and send messages between these things. Not having to wait a week is is really quite lovely. Um, you know, I'm hearing rumors that um, there are you know L optimistic designs that give you some of these benefits in the works, and you know I think they're yeah. Good. Fuel Prover, Fuel Network has a really cool one. And I think ultimately they still, you know, uh, are going to use ZK Tech, but uh, in more of an optimistic design. 
but I still think that, you know, ultimately ZK uh, is just going to play uh, like a huge, huge role. You know, there's still a lot of challenges to overcome, right? I think the uh, the circuits are big. It's hard to uh, it's hard to prove correctness. You know, Zcash um, had a bug, right, in their uh, in their circuit that actually allowed anyone to uh, mint an infinite amount of money without anyone else knowing, right? Um, especially for the privacy focused ZK EVMs, you know, that's, that's going to be a really, really big potential challenge. Um, and, uh, and then of course the fact that gas costs, uh, are different for proving than for running, um, means that there's DDoS opportunities, there's a whole bunch of potential problems. And then, you know, all of these systems are built on prover zk prover technology from you know around like a year or two years ago and there's a whole new um um set of uh, innovations happening right now around folding techniques around supernova uh, that might unlock even more performance in the coming future and so there's going to be new proving technology in the future and then there's going to be an interesting question about how to migrate to all of that i think in an ideal world um there'll be you know one very very audited um very um high performance proving system that everyone adopts and then they create will create front ends around it um and in a very ideal world those front ends will target uh isas of you know like mips or or risk 5 that will allow people to just run to create proofs that are effectively just execution traces of, of existing code. Um, because I think that will make it much easier for everyone to adopt it. It won't require uh, those cryptographers having to create these circuits every time there's an upgrade to Geth, right? I think, uh, you know, we've been around for, uh, you know, in production for over three years, and we've been uh, tracking uh, Geth and, and tracking mainnet Ethereum. That's a lot of work uh, to keep pulling in these changes. If you have to create circuits for every change that's coming in, uh, that that can be you know quite onerous. And so, in an ideal world, you know folks won't have to do that. We'll just have high enough performance uh, systems that can prove arbitrary machine code. Obviously, Risk Zero is working towards that, and you know they've having some success with it. But I think the performance has to get a lot better uh, in in the next year or two uh, for it to really go mainstream. But I'm actually pretty optimistic that that will happen. Um, I think talking to a lot of cryptographers today, the types of improvements in performance that they're predicting are actually really, really high. And so I'm really cautiously optimistic that that, that world will, will happen uh, sooner than later. Nice. Yeah, thanks for the in-depth answer. It's been a pleasure, guys. Um, I mainly asked that question because at ETHCC, I was sitting in on a panel where it was co-founder of Metis was the moderator, and it was three ZK guys and Harry from Arbitrum. And the debate or the conversation started off quite civilized. And then within about three minutes, it was three ZK bullies ganging up on Arbitrum as to why they're basically going to fade into irrelevance in the coming years. And then there was the Arbitrum guy laughing away because his TBL is more than all of the combined ZK. And that takes us to the end of this one. So thank you guys for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Cheers.
This was a blast. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.